All right, Elrod, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. What's your favorite Thanksgiving food? Sweet potatoes. See, I don't really like sweet potatoes, and I don't like sweet potatoes, especially with marshmallows. Oh, I don't eat marshmallows. My mom makes this amazing sweet potato recipe, and I've tried to replicate it. never works. It's just great. It's like this combination of... She does like the right amount of like tons of maple brown sugar and cinnamon. It's great. And she always serves it in the same like serving dish. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, dark chicken. Like I'm, I'm the person who likes to grab the leg off the turkey and gra- like. Just, you like the dark chicken? I can't. The white do chicken. Have, do you have chicken at Thanksgiving? I'm white turkey. Sorry. Okay. What did I say? Chicken. Did I say chicken? Mm-hmm. Oh shit. Turkey. I meant, folks. I like dark meat on the turkey. The white meat always just gets a little too dry for me. It can get dry. That's why you have gravy that you can dip the turkey in if you want to. I've also now, the last couple of years, have fried my turkey, mm. which is um, – very. That's a very manly thing. I think men like to go out with a deep fat fryer in the backyard. It's cold. Football's on. There's a fire inside. And they throw the turkey in the deep fat fryer. It's also, yes, it's typical man stuff because it's also like, it's so quick. Like we don't have to deal with it. So you put it in there and it's done in 45, 50 minutes, depending upon the the, the size of the turkey. Um, But it tastes great. The skin, like if you're, I'm a skin fan. Like I love the skin on a turkey. So that, the way it's seasoned, it's just, it's unbelievable. Brings out all the flavor. So um, yeah, I would say, I would say uh, sweet potatoes and then dark meat. So my dad makes this really great turnip casserole that I actually, I really like. And then my mom has been making the stuffing that's been in our family for a long time, I think like three or four generations, that I'm probably not going to carry on because, number one, I have not learned how to cook this. And number You've got to get two, the recipe. And number two, I just, I'm not a big dressing fan. I'm just not. Salad dressing? Yeah. You, no. you're, I mean, uh, you're talking about uh, turkey stuffing. Yes. We yeah. call it dressing in the South. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I'm not. Eat- I I feel like what I do is I get my plate and I put the string beans on and the in the in the sweet potatoes and the meat, and then some stuffing and I get the gravy and I dump it on and I sort of you know mix it all up into like this gumbo for ter- for my for my dinner. Mm-hmm. And so none of like and then I'll put some cranberry sauce on, which is do you like cranberry sauce? Uh, no, I don't. But what do you like? You know, I don't really like Thanksgiving food that much. Oh, okay. Bad. I'm, I'm like a bad American. Like if I'm going to splurge, I want a cheeseburger and a beer. Yeah, but you can't. Okay, but given what is available on Thanksgiving, <laughs> what do you put I on I like the, turkey and I like rolls with butter. White or dark meat? White. Okay. All right. Let's move on. Now, let's move we on. will move on, but I don't want to move on that far because you wrote a uh, really great piece with uh, Susan Del Percio, who um, is a MSNBC, yes, mm-hmm. uh, fellow Republican contributor, but uh, is, I think seeing the light uh, a little bit. Um, you guys wrote a really good piece on uh, NBCNews.com. Uh, know your value. It's a section that uh, Elrod does uh, with Susan um, on a range of topics, and you t- and this is great. It's like how to survive 
the all-out political war that you're going to face at Thanksgiving. So we all know that it happens in some families. There's the crazy uncle or whatever. But tell me, tell me about the the column. What 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 are your tips to surviving Thanksgiving? Yeah, well, we had fun writing this. So we write a uh, biweekly column for Know Your Value, which is Mika Brzezinski's um, sort of brainchild for MSNBC, NBC about how to encourage women to use their voices and advocate them for themselves in the workplace to advance their careers. It's really incredible the work she's done there. But we wrote this column about essentially how to survive, you know, oftentimes the dichotomous, uh, you know, controversial set of family members at Thanksgiving dinner, sort of how to survive when inevitably the question about politics is going to come up. And Doug, I mean, I'm sure even though your family is here, um, given the fact that you are a political strategist. I'm a political strategist. We always get asked, even though, you know, I'm, I'm flying back to Arkansas. My family is very, um, you know, very well versed on the current events that are happening right now in politics, but I'm still the one for whatever reason. Well, Adrian, tell us what's going on in Washington and what do you think about things? And then sooner rather than later, my uncle Phil will chime in the and uncle. he will say, well, you know, I think Donald Trump's doing a good job, and let me tell you why. And so just to create, essentially, to not create a fight and to sort of create a harmonious dinner table situation, um, all that being said, we just sort of talked about a few tips that I think everyone can use <laughs> at their Thanksgiving table. Ten- Give us one. Table. Give us one tip. One is to use deflection. I'm just going to read exa- like straight from my piece here. Um, it sounds a bit sneaky, but it works. When you want to avoid a conversation about politics, try saying something like this. I did hear about that, but who do you think the Razorbacks will hire as their new football coach? And what do you think about Chad Morris's buyout? Or forget politics and sports, let's talk about our favorite movie. So we really just try to encourage you, because especially once you're drinking wine and you're kind of supercharged, you want to have the fight, you want to win the argument, but... Sometimes Thanksgiving is not the place to do that. Yeah. So we're just, I hope everyone will check it out. Go to NBCnews.com slash Know Your Value. Um, you can see our column there, and maybe you guys can use some of those tactics. Um, and there's a great photo of you guys home. playing tug of war. Yeah, Susan and I are a with a scarf. An American flag <laughs> that's a scarf. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. But yeah. it's supposed to essentially simulate some sort of, you know, funny little fight there. No, I like it. We had, I like fun, it. We had fun writing this. I like it. Well, we as we enter the uh, long thanks, well, not that long, but a relatively long Thanksgiving uh, day holiday break, um, most people have off half, half day on Wednesday and come back on Monday. The campaign, uh, I think, uh, probably we could say we'll pause a bit. Uh, and uh, I think it's safe to say that we have seen some pretty significant developments uh, in the last week or two with this race. If you were to look at just strictly speaking the polling, but also the fact that we now have uh, Michael Bloomberg in the race. Uh, He jumped in earlier this week. Uh, Deval Patrick came in the week before. Um, And so... Um, you know, there have been, you know, there've been some significant things that have happened. What has caught my eye, uh, Adrian is, uh, there was a, uh, there was a St. Anselm's poll of New Hampshire mm-hmm. that just came out and it had, here's the breakdown. This was over the court. This was over November 13th or 18th. Pete Buttigieg at 25, um, 
you had Elizabeth Warren at 15 and you had Biden at 15. Now, that same poll, that same polling group, St. Anselm's, did that poll in September uh, or late September, September 25th to 29th. So, you know, almost two months ago. And the poll found that Warren was at 25 then, Mayor Pete was at 10, and Biden was at 24. So in the course of a six, seven weeks, you've seen a significant change where Pete has gone from 10 to 25, and Warren uh, and Biden have gone from about 25 to 15. What do you think is happening? Now, this is just New Hampshire, but I think you can, you know, I, I think that there are other polls that are sort of showing out, showing in particular some bit of a drop with Warren, um, mm-hmm. particularly, na- you know, all, both nationally and from some key states. I mean, here's what I think is happening, and I think we've seen this in some of the cross tabs. Um, I think people have some concerns about her uh, Medicare for all proposal, most importantly, the price tag. Um, people remember how hard it was to pass Obamacare in 2008, um, or rather 2009. They like their health insurance. Um, now they don't think it's perfect, but they don't want to turn everything over to the government, which is why... A lot of folks are starting to subscribe to this theory of, hey, listen, I want to at least have the option to keep my own health insurance. Sure, I'm, I'm okay if someone wants to implement Medicare for all, but as long as I get, get the choice to whether, whether or not I want to go on to the full government system or whether or not I want to keep my Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield policy or whatever policy they're subscribed to, people want to be able to keep the private health insurance. They want that option. And I think that um, the price tag with her Medicare for all plan. And by the way, I give her massive, massive props for being in true form to Elizabeth Warren, um, knowing that the price tag that she stated might be controversial, but she still did it anyway. Um, Good, you know, good for her for being honest and truthful to the voters about that. But, you know, I think that that has turned off some people. And I think it also feeds into the narrative, whether it's right or wrong, that she will have a harder time as the nominee against Donald Trump, as opposed to somebody who supports protecting the public option, protecting Obamacare, and just uh, working on fixing it, not completely getting rid of it. And that includes, obviously, Joe Biden, Mayor, Mayor Pete, um, Amy Klobuchar, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris. I mean, mo- most people in this race want to at least keep and protect the public, public option. And so... I think that that has a lot to do with sort of her numbers settling back into a normal range. But, you know, it's still it is still freaking early. I know. Is it? We're in December. It's not that early. We've got Iowa in eight weeks. Yeah, we're in December, but we still have two-thirds of of Iowa caucus goers who admit that they're still undecided. Sure. That's why I say it's early. Definitely. They haven't decided. That's absolutely right. There definitely are a lot of people who are open to hearing – uh, people's cases to be the nominee. I think that's right. Um, and, you know, I think another interesting sort of polling phenomenon that you're seeing is that, you know, Mayor Pete right now is arguably uh, the front runner in both Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, Iowa State University came out with a poll that has his, let's just use real clear politics average. Right now, Buttigieg has a 24 average. Uh, in uh, Iowa versus 
Sanders is at 18, Warren at 17, Biden at 16. So those are all sort of grouped up. And then if you look at um, New Hampshire, same sort of deal. You've got but you've got Buttigieg as the front runner in New Hampshire. But then when you look at the national polls, right? Right, Buttigieg right now is at 20% average in real clear politics. By the way, that is I mean, this is significant because I remember when the poll came out um what, like 10 days ago in New Hampshire, it was right around the debate that showed that Mayor Pete was significantly ahead in New Hampshire. And I'm so sorry, I'm blanking on what poll that was. I think initially a lot of us were wondering if that was an outlier, if that was, you know, if that poll was um, was accurate. But mm-hmm. now we are looking at the fact that Mayor Pete is pulling the real clear politics average, like you said, is 20%. In New Hampshire, followed by Bernie Sanders at 17, Elizabeth Warren at 14, Biden at 13, et cetera. And he's leading in Iowa. The real clear politics average is 24 uh, in Iowa compared to Bernie Sanders at 18 and so on and so forth. I mean, this is significant. This is not just, oh, is Mayor Pete sort of a flash in the pan? It's, it's, you know, is is his, um, you know, buzz short-lived? I mean, this is the real deal. He is pulling on average, significantly higher than his second and third competitor in the two early states. So I props to his campaign and props to him for, for you know, getting to that point. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I think it's an achievement for a mayor of a town that is, uh, you know, uh, pretty small, South Bend. Um, but what I, I think the, the other side of – the other part of this polling story is the national polling um, piece, which – uh, obviously, the Democratic primary is a race for delegates. It's not a national election. So what happens in the states is important. But if you look at the national polling, Pete Buttigieg is still, you know, he's still right around 10 percent, 9, 10 percent. And I think if you look into if you take a deeper dive into those numbers, maybe even using South Carolina as a uh, indicator there, um, you know, Mayor Pete right now, you've got in South Carolina, Quinnipiac had a poll that shows Biden far and away ahead at 33. And then you've got Warren and Sanders basically tied. And then Pete is at six. And the question there that I think highlights is that he's still having a hard, very hard uh, time um, building a coalition that reflects the diversity of the Democratic Party. And, you know, you don't, I mean, so he's doing well in those states that are overwhelmingly white, like New Hampshire and Iowa. Mm-hmm. But when you look at a national poll, it indicates that he doesn't really, you know, that support with African Americans isn't there. And if you look at a state based poll where six, two thirds of the support, uh, two thirds of the electorate's going to be African American, South Carolina, right. is at 6%. Exactly. And that's going to be his challenge. By the way, forgive me for. The slight pause and slight deviation here, but Donald Trump just tweeted a picture of himself in world or WWF gear. Really? Boxing gloves. Nice. Superimposed. His face is obviously superimposed on some, like a boxer's really? body or something. Boxer or is he wrestling? Well, is it, oh, that's I mean? Rocky. That's Rocky Three. That's the mo- movie poster from Rocky Three. Gross. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway. Anyway. I'm moving surprised. back to the Democratic primary. Um, yeah. Sorry. So anyway, I just felt like Pardon I feel like me. that is something to keep an eye on. Uh, as Ken, you know, Pete is still struggling with black and with people of color. He is. His campaign knows that he's. They're really trying hard to make some inroads there, but that's why you know. I think if you're Joe Biden, you're still pretty happy because you're saying, you know what, I may not win Iowa. Probably not going to win New Hampshire but I'm going to win Nevada 
and I'm definitely going to win South Carolina. Those are the states that have diversity, especially South Carolina. And then I'm going to do really well in Super Tuesday states. I mean, I think that's the Biden, not even the Biden gamble. I think that's the Biden strategy. Um, and I think if you frame it along the lines of, yeah, hey, listen, sure, Mayor Pete, who is doing really well in the, you know, white educated, white college educated uh, voting class, is going to do really well in the first two states, which are almost all entirely white states. Yep. Um, I'm going to pick up some steam in states that are diverse, states that truly reflect what the Democratic primary electorate looks like. Yep. I, you know, I think that that's their, that's their strategy. Yep. Now let's talk about Michael Bloomberg. The mayor of Speaking the former of mayor, three-term strategy, mm-hmm. three-term mayor of New York City, who got into the uh, race uh, earlier this week. This week we're on the day before Thanksgiving, so and uh, he announced a massive advertising blitz. I think it was over thirty, thirty-five million dollars, and it was targeted towards all the Super Tuesday states, as Elrod mentioned. So it's an interesting strategy. I think you know. Look, I think I get what he's trying to do. Um, you know, I think that it is, you know, the likelihood of him trying to enter this race and and do well in Iowa and New Hampshire uh, after some of these folks have been in for so long, you know, and making their case. I think that's unlikely, and especially dealing with a lot of, you know, I think you're dealing with um, a lot of de- Democratic activists. But look, I get, I get the, I get their strategy. P- go to the states where other folks aren't advertising, right? Try to saturate the markets there. Introduce Michael Bloomberg when when there's no other other candidate competing for that that airtime. Um, mm-hmm. Go visit there. See if you can make a case about how you know he's a mayor who could get things done. I yeah. I see that. I mean, I don't know. Look, I think it's a stretch and it's going to be really hard for him, but it's his probably only move. Yeah, and I you know they are they they are putting out to the press in interviews and tipping off reporters and whatnot that they are running a completely different strategy. They're sort of upending um, the way that you run a, a an early state slash Super Tuesday strategy as we know it. Um, and they are focusing on these Super Tuesday states. They're taking a gamble, of course, by not playing the first four. And they're also taking a gamble by knowing that they're never going to make it on the debate stage under the DNC rules, which require a threshold that be met when it comes to grassroots donors. Michael Bloomberg, of course, is not taking any donors. Um, he's made it clear that he is going to self-finance this campaign like he's self-financed all of his other campaigns. The question is, will it work? And, um, you know, I there are people who are very skeptical about Bloomberg's candidacy, people who think that stop and frisk is a uh, non-starter for him, even though, of course, he apologized for it. Uh, By the way, I I just want to make a quick point. If you're thinking about running for office, whether you're Joe Biden, Mike Bloomberg, anybody, and there's something in your past, whether it's supporting a policy, whether it's in the Biden case, Anita Hill, someone that you probably owe a long overdue apology to, don't do it right before you get in. Or don't do it right after you get in. Do it well in advance so it doesn't look like you're apologizing for something because you're running for office, because you know it's going to um, potentially hurt your candidacy. I mean, Mike Bloomberg gave the speech apologizing for stop and frisk after he announced that he was getting in. Uh, Joe Biden apologized to Anita Hill after he announced he was getting in or right around the time he got in. Do these things in advance because if you do it around the time you're going to get in or thinking about getting into the race, it just looks opportunistic. Yeah. 
Anyway, all that being said, I think every to- Democrat went on some t- version of their own apology yeah, tour. Yeah, yeah, it's at the like, beginning. exactly. It's every exactly. It's not just isolated to those two as well, but those were kind of two big, um, you know. Uh, Elrod, remind me, what is the polling? What is the polling threshold that the candidates need to hit on December? Is it tenth? Uh, it's I think December nineteenth, but they have to. It's is that, debate. That's the December tenth is the deadline, right. and it's one hundred and sixty-five thousand unique donors. Well, that's the donors, but I'm sorry, the the polling threshold. Is it four or five? It is. I believe it's 4% okay. in four national polls. Yep. So Bloomberg is not that or far six from there. And or 6% in two early state polls. No, I think look, he'll meet, I'll, he, he will might. likely meet the, the Oh, he just won't hit the donors. Well, is he it and donors? donors? It's both. It's oh. both. Well, that does, okay, that's interesting. So if you're a self-financer, then you're never going to get in. Correct. So um, you do, you do, um, you do forums. I mean- CNN, MSNBC, maybe he doesn't want to debate. Fox News, they will all they constantly host forums, right? Mm-hmm. So you can participate in a forum. You could have your own town hall. Maybe you pitch to Fox News to try to get you know some some independents and moderate leaning Democrats who still, for whatever miraculous reason, I guess they still watch Fox News. Um, but look, I am of the theory that this is not that the mayor Bloomberg has a um, viable path. I agree with his campaign that he's got a viable path. I think it's going to be like nothing we've ever seen before. I also think that he will, if he doesn't have a successful go at Super Tuesday, I think that he um, will do the right thing and get out of the race when the time is right, when it makes sense for him. I don't think he'll stay in the race for a long time beyond his potential shelf life. Um, but if he has a really good Super Tuesday, then we'll see what happens. And I look, I, I'm i a huge fan of Mayor Mike Bloomberg's. And I appreciate everything he did as mayor of New York. And I also appreciate everything, most importantly, that he's done since he's been mayor, which is all the incredible work that he's given back through Bloomberg Philanthropies, um, the organizations he started to combat uh, and increase gun safety le- measures, um, the environmental work that he's done. He's had this really incredible post-mayoral life. He's using his money for good. He's got a strong record to run on. And sure, he's doing things unconventionally. But, you know, it might it just might work. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, look, this race is, uh, is I think we're the, there is still a lot that we are going to learn over the next two, three, four months. And, um it has definitely been if there if there's been some stability there's definitely been a level of stability at the very top of the race in terms of sort of Biden being at the being at the top, uh, in in some at sometimes sort of with Warren, um, and to some and at times with Sanders, uh, and then there being this middle tier of you know ver- of competitive candidates. Um, but look, I think that you're right. I th- I, I think it's it's going to be hard for I, I think it's going to be hard for Bloomberg, but it's certainly not out of the question. You don't. I at this point, I don't rule anything out. Um, I am interested, though. You know, when you I think it is. You know, a lot of people are looking at this question about Trump, uh, who is best positioned to beat Trump, and there has been you know there has been a several polls that have come out in the last couple of weeks that did some. Um, did matchups of uh, Democrats versus Trump in New Hampshire. Um, basically, uh, Biden was winning by four. Sanders was winning by four against Trump. Uh, Trump was leading Warren by two. Uh, and Buttigieg was winning by six. That was a Emerson poll. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a Wisconsin poll, which I think once people should be paying attention to because Wisconsin's one of those states that we need to win back. Trump was actually leading 
um, both Biden, Warren, Sanders, Buttigieg, uh, and 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 Buttigieg um, by a range of three to five to eight points. Um, so Wisconsin is one of those states I think Democrats have to really keep in a close eye on because I'm I'm worried about Wisconsin. Um, Nevada is one of those places where you got Biden, Warren, and Sanders up on Trump, um, and uh, and Buttigieg is tied. And then Pennsylvania, which is another one, another key state that we got to win back. Democrats are looking really good in Pennsylvania right now. Biden, Warren, Sanders, uh, they're all um, they're all up uh, by a range of five to nine points. So that was over the last couple of weeks. Again, it's a snapshot of where we are. But I think that this notion that whoever the Democrats nominate is going to win, we need to sort of like get rid of that. That's not true. I think it is important. Trump is not as damaging as what, you know, he is, uh, all of the things that we're learning about him and as weak as he is probably compared to previous general election candidates, he still is very competitive in these general election matchups. And so I think, I think Democrats need to keep considering who is the best person to take on Trump because it's going to matter. And of course, Doug, we've seen that that is the most um, important issue to Democratic primary voters. I mean, sure, they want health care fixed. Yeah, they want better jobs. They want higher wages, the same standard kitchen table issues. But when it comes to the most important issue to Democratic voters, what they're voting on, it is their their top issue is to defeat Donald Trump. They're considering that to be a quote unquote issue. <laughs> yeah. And and it's and it's right now Joe Biden in their mind is still the person to do that. Now I would assume that Mike Bloomberg with his gargantuous amount of wealth and how he's spending that money um, will make a play for the electability argument. I think that's going to be his uh, best tactic. It's going to be the, um, the probably the the place that he can really slice into Biden's support among primary voters. I think he's going to make a very big play for the electability argument against Trump. But look, the great thing about Mike Bloomberg, and one of one of many great things about Mike Bloomberg, but the great thing that I think comes into this race is he's not going to run as a third party challenger. You know, if no. he decides. You know, if, if if our party, for whatever reason, were to elect Bernie Sanders as the nominee, which is not going to happen, but if they were to, um, Mike Bloomberg would has made it clear that he's not going to try to break things up, go against the will of the voters, and run as a um, very well-funded third-party candidate. He's going to run for the primary, seek the primary nomination. If he doesn't win, he doesn't win. So I want to just jump off that you, you you use the term electability and who's the and I think obviously the name of our podcast is the electables. But you know, looking at all of the people running, I actually I, I do think that the person who has the actual best argument on ter- in terms of being electable in a general election, right, based off of this person's electoral history versus everyone else running, is Amy Klobuchar. Yeah, I mean, like that. I don't think that's debatable. I mean, Correct. if you look, if you look at Elizabeth Warren, represented represents Massachusetts. That is not a competitive state yep. in the general election. She did have a tough race against Scott Brown, but you know that's not a that's not a tough. Kamala you know, Harris, California. <laughs> Bernie Sanders, Vermont. Uh, Joe Biden was vice president for two year, you know, two terms. But then Delaware, you have PP. Yeah, these aren't. These aren't battleground states. Now, Minnesota has fl- is is was considered a safe blue state for a while with some interesting congressional districts that you and I know well. Um, but Amy's point, Klobuchar's point, is that she's been able to win a whole bunch of Trump counties in the Midwest. And so I just think 
you know, look, when you're – she's been sort of like right on the outside looking in and she's had some good she, – she had really good debate performances recently. I think you got – keep an eye on her because she's – she like Booker, I think if they catch a spark – you know, it could be interesting to see what happens. I mean, she's Doug, I can't believe you're forgetting John Delaney in Maryland and Michael Bennett in Colorado. I can't believe you're, you're forgetting about I forgot those guys. About they're, well, I mean, Colorado, they're still in the yeah, race. Right. No, just kidding. Um, look, that's exactly what her play is. And, you know, the more and more people hear from Amy Klobuchar, the more they like her. She's had some incredibly strong moments on the debate stage. Um, and she's really perfected the art of, de- of delivering a one-liner. You know, I loved her line in the last debate about Pelosi where, you know, she said, you know, look, a lot of a lot of people don't think a woman can beat Donald Trump. And let me just remind everyone that Nancy Pelosi beats Donald Trump every single day. I Which mean, it wasn't true. exactly along Which those lines, but that's essentially, you know, you get the drift. Um, I, you know, I don't think Amy's going to be our nominee um, in part because she doesn't have the resources you know, she had essentially like, you know, very low name ID nationally before she got in this race. But boy, is she putting herself in a good position to be the vice presidential pick. And is she also really positioning herself for a future run for president to come out very strong. And the answer is yes. Um, I, she's really put herself in the map. And I, I love her. I know her personally. I uh, have always really liked her. I worked with her a lot in 2016 on Hillary's campaign. And I'm really glad that there is a pragmatic, sensible, moderate female. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, female who's running in this race because she's made some really, really strong um, comments. She's, you know, I thought she and Mayor Pete Buttigieg really tag-teamed each other effectively um, against some of the more progressive or rather like, uh, you know, the Bernie Sanders uh, free college, free health care, that whole jazz in the last debate. Um, she's just, she's just really made her mark and I I couldn't be more proud. Yeah. She, um, uh, I had a question that I just totally forgot about, but, uh, oh, here's, here's my question to you, Elrod. We've had some flavor, let's say flavors of the month or a couple months. Um, Elizabeth Warren obviously built her, did a surge sort of incrementally and got to where she was over a couple months. But she, you know, she was the focus of people's attention several months ago as sort of like the new possible front runner. Mm -hmm. And then it became Buttigieg because of what we're seeing in these in these early states. I think Buttigieg, in the close examination of his record that that we're seeing now, particularly of his relationships with African Americans and what we're hearing in mm-hmm. South Bend, I think you'll likely see him start taking a dip because voters who are supporting him now may come to the conclusion that he ultimately can't win the nomination. Maybe not. Who knows? Who do you think is next in line? Is that Klobuchar? Is that Booker? Because I feel like this is a mer- I feel like this is sort of like a rotation that is the natural thing that happens in a primary where voters take a look, they get high on a particular candidate after the candidate they liked before, sort of you lose their, you know, interest in. Who do you think is if there's someone's next, who do you think that person is? Um, I'd say Amy Klobuchar. Yeah. I think it's either Amy Klobuchar or or Cory Booker. 
Yeah, and he, look, exactly. Cory Booker has a really good. I mean, he's got a really strong argument. I think. I mean, to, I couldn't be more proud of the um, state of the Democratic Party today with some of these really strong people who are running for office. I mean, we've got an embarrassment of rich, riches, and it's great to see. And you know, a lot of people have been asking, especially after that last debate, why is Cory Booker not gained more traction? I mean, right now he is not qualified yet for the Los Angeles debate. Yeah, I've given him money, and I hope. You know, if others want to keep seeing him on the debate stage um, who are listening to this podcast, you guys should go to CoreyBooker.com and make a donation. He hit the donor threshold, right? But he hasn't hit the polling number. I I think I got an email from Booker that he said that he reached the 200,000 donor threshold, but he hasn't reached the polling threshold yet. We Let's table that. Let me check. Yeah. Anyway, um, I, I'm just so proud of um, the, where we are as a party today. But I would say that that next person that you mentioned, who is that going to be? I would say that that would be Amy Klobuchar. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, what what else have we – are we missing anything? I feel like we've touched on a bunch of stuff here. What football game are you most excited about this weekend? Mm, I don't think I – you know, I actually – I'm not really excited about any game this weekend. Who's pl- I don't even know who's playing. Well, Arkansas plays LSU, okay. number one team of the country. I am excited to watch the game, but I know that we're going to get oh, destroyed. Oh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the game. Mm-hmm. Sunday afternoon, one p.m. Lamar Jackson, my guy, my favorite quarterback, Baltimore Ravens versus San Francisco 49ers. Okay. Two teams, both pro I think football. one or two. Lo- yeah, this is pro. You know, back in the day, they used to have Texas A&M and Texas on Thanksgiving night, and they got rid of that. And, like, when all the league, the co- college leagues sort of became these huge monsters, a lot of these – like, Texas and Texas A&M aren't even in the same division anymore, right? They were in the Southwest Conference. Yeah, for, A&M is SEC. Yeah, and so, like, I just feel like there's been a change a little bit in the college football world where some of the traditions that we saw, you know, growing up as a kid, like on Thanksgiving or the day after Thanksgiving. I think Auburn and Alabama, the Iron Bowl, was all always the Friday after Thanksgiving, and I don't think they do that anymore. So I miss some of the – call me old-fashioned, Adrian, but I do miss some of these old tradition, college football traditions. Yeah, and the one final thing that I will leave us with today, because I have to go do NPR here in a second, um, they're now saying the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, the balloons may not be floating because of the the wind and the storm that's coming through. Good lord! So that's kind of a bummer, right? Someone told me about that. I look. I am. I am not going to disclose my age on this podcast, but I am a a very much an adult, and I still like to watch the Macy's Thanksgiving. There's nothing like waking up in the morning and sleeping and being in bed and turning it on, right? Exactly. You kind of know that you've got a good. What's your favorite day? Is it the Wednesday before? Is it the Wednesday before Thanksgiving? I eat today. Yeah, today. Um. Well, since I'm in Washington, D.C. today and I'm having it Friendsgiving with my girlfriends at 530, I'm pretty excited about that. I actually like Thanksgiving Day, though. Yeah, yeah. But I don't Wednesday- like Friday because I always feel really gross and hungover because yeah. I ate too much food and drink. The before. Wednesday, though, it's like you're looking at it and you've got like this whole long stretch of days off. And back in the day, your friends would be coming home and you would have something to do on Wednesday night. So I think I'm partial to the Wednesday, but I like Thanksgiving, too. I love it. It's one of my favorite holidays. It's the best. Um, well, I'm going to be interested to hear what you uh, what you end up eating over Thanksgiving. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful time back home in uh, Little Rock. Little Rock, right? You're going Fayetteville. Back. Fayetteville, sorry. Fayetteville. Um, I hope your hogs win. Give my best to your family. My hogs are not going to win. They're playing LSU, but well, thank you. Well, maybe, maybe they'll surprise us. Um, 
But uh, happy Thanksgiving, Elrod. You too. Um, and happy Thanksgiving to our listeners. Uh, hope you all have a very safe and uh, wonderful time with your family. And happy Thanksgiving to our producer, Kenny. Kenny Day, who's sitting right sitting here. here. The maestro, him and Kenny. Kenny and Mike are the, the people who make it happen. That's right. Airs next. Airsnext.com. Yeah. Airsnext.com. Two of the best producers in the podcast industry. Kenny Day and, uh, and Michael Pelquin. They are the. They have helped us get this uh, this podcast off the ground, and we're approaching our one year anniversary, Elrod. Woohoo! So we'll have to be, have have to have a big celebration. But for Adrian Elrod, uh, my partner in crime, this is Doug Thornell. Uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>